just as we sang a while ago. Forgive us that even as believers we look to so many other things. I have a tendency to think if we could just get the right politicians in office, everything would be better. And while I don't necessarily disagree with that, it falls far short of where it ought to be. We need to turn our eyes to you. And it's time for judgment to begin in the house of God. Forgive us when we've made idols out of things and out of people, out of situations, out of decades and eras in the past. Instead of looking to you today and to recognize your power today, your power to save, your power to transform, your power to guide, your power to correct, your power to change. And Father, I pray that you would do that. Our country is in desperate need of a touch from God. And I pray we would be salt and we wouldn't lose our savor. I pray that we would be light and we wouldn't be hidden under a bushel. And I pray, Father, that we would not seek to be obnoxious either. I pray, Lord, that we would be loving and kind. I pray that we would be compassionate toward people, all people, no matter what they're doing. And, Lord, there are some things that we look at and we find it so reprehensible, abominable, and we don't understand it. But help us to understand the problem with somebody is not their morality. It's their soul is lost. They're dead in trespasses and sins. They need the life-giving gospel. And we carry that with us. Help us, Lord, to pray. As Jesus said, to, that you would send forth laborers into your harvest. Help us, Lord, to remember to pray for those who are laboring. We pray for missionaries. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in other churches that are not our competition, but uh, we thank you, Lord, that we are cooperating with them. And we pray that we would play our part as well, whatever it may be, big parts, small parts, public parts, or insignificant private things. Lord, I pray that we would just do what we are supposed to do and that other churches would do what they're supposed to do. And we pray that revival would sweep our land. We pray for our politicians, from the president on down to local. And we ask you, Lord, to give them wisdom. We ask you to give them protection. And we also ask you, Lord, above all, to bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ. We pray that for members of our own family. We pray that for our friends and for our neighbors. Bring them to Jesus and use us to plant and to water and to harvest, if that pleases you. And uh, we pray, Lord, that you would take people that are sick and we pray you would heal them. We pray that people that are recovering from surgery, that you would help them to manage their pain, help them to do their therapies, help them, Lord, to uh, be patient as they heal and bless them on that. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, take everybody else, meet their needs, whatever it may be. It may be an emotional need. It may be a physical need. And certainly, Lord, if it's a spiritual need, we pray that you would meet that for your glory. But above all, we want to give you thanks. And thank you for our life. We have it so very good. And you have blessed us so much. And for that, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, if you'll take your Bible this morning, we are uh, back in 2 Thessalonians in the third chapter. And uh, I know sometimes when you look ahead, you want to, how's he going to deal with these verses? 
Uh, I think that I want to keep this in the context of both books, First and Second Thessalonians. And that is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There was so much confusion in Thessalonica from people who said, Oh, you've missed it. The Lord's already come. And your loved ones have missed it. You know, and, and they were all confused. And so Paul tries to straighten them out. And as he comes to the very end of this book, he gets very pointed and very uh, straightforward with them. And I think, again, it's in the context of how do we live until Jesus comes? What are we supposed to do? Uh, let me just say this. Being salt and light is what Jesus talked to us about, right? But being salt and light is more, uh, I, I, I tend to think, you know, be salt and light. What do I need to do? I need to pass out tracts. I need to be witnessing to somebody. But it's so much more than, than that. It's more than the churchy things. It's more than the religious things. It's more than uh, rituals and things like that, isn't it? When I think about being salt and light, I think about a verse, the last part of Luke 18, verse 8. It says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Well, that's a question for us. And it's not just saying, will he find people that believe in him? Well, of course, that's going to happen. I think the idea uh, is more, will he find faithfulness? Will he find faithfulness? So what do you want to be doing when the Lord comes back, when the Lord returns? And uh, I, I can know some things I don't want to do. I would not want to be in a bed of adultery. I would not want to be drunk or high. I would not want to be, uh, you know, doing any of those types of things. We don't need to go any further with that. But at the same time, I used to say, when Jesus comes back, I'd like to be witnessing to somebody. Well, that would be nice, wouldn't it? I heard a Christian comedian say one time, when the rapture happens, I want to be talking to two sinners, and I'm going to grab them by the collar, and when we get halfway up, I'm going to say, do you get saved or do I let go? I mean, you know, kind of funny, but... Uh, Nonetheless, I've thought about those kind of things. Salt and light. Maybe the salt and the light is more than just the typical religious things or the churchy things or the holy things that we think. Maybe there's something else, too, that is presented here uh, to us. Because I want you to look at what Paul is going to say here in our text. And apparently... The Lord doesn't want us to be idle or lazy. The Lord doesn't want us sitting on a mountain waiting for Him to come in white robes. The Lord apparently doesn't want us living off of the hard work of others. The Lord doesn't want us to be overly involved in the lives of other people while we're waiting on Him to return. What is it that He wants us to do? And I think in the context here, this this makes a whole lot of sense. Look at verse 10, chapter 3, verse 10. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you, they're part of the church, in a disorderly or idle manner. That word means idle. Not working at all but our busy bodies. Verse 12. Now those who are such, okay, here's your word if you're a busy, an idle busybody. Now 
uh, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Sounds kind of boring, doesn't it? Verse 13. But as for you, now this is the rest of you, those of you who are right. But as for you, brethren, saved people, do not grow weary in doing good. Would that describe you? Verse 14. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Not just punished, but that he may come to his senses, basically. Verse 15. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish or warn him as a brother, a brother in Christ. So when we put all this together, you're confused and some of you are sinning and you're doing wrong and you're sponging off of other people and you're way too gossipy and involved in their life. You know way too much information about them. Paul has words here. And then Paul has instruction for those who are actually living right. And uh, this is all in the context of what we're supposed to do while we're waiting on the Lord to return while we're living our lives. Does it sound all kind of normal to you? And I find it interesting that uh, everybody's looking for something big, splashy, and uh, impactful, and we want to carry signs, we want to boycott, we want to we show this world that we're strong and we're powerful and we have a whole lot more clout than they think. Is that what Paul is saying for us to do? Now, obviously, there may be some things you may be called to do. You may be called to go to an abortion clinic and to uh, pray or counsel or something like that. More power to you. But at the same time, not everybody may be called to do that. Not every Israelite went before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. That was assigned to Moses. And uh, you'll think about when Paul was writing in the New Testament, never did he say, you know, boycott the Romans. Boycott the Greeks, boycott the barbarians, or anything like that. Uh, you certainly can if you want to. There were some people that were buying meat that had been offered to idols, and Paul said, that's fine if it doesn't bother your conscience. But there were other people who said, no, I can never go back to that marketplace and buy that meat because it was offered to a god or goddess I used to worship. And Paul said, that's fine as well. And don't offend those people. They're following uh, their conscience, and that conscience is weak for a purpose. In other words... You've got the freedom to do what you feel led to do. If you want to shop at Target and you do it, then you are not supposed to be condemned by those who don't. Sammy and I have chosen for the time being not to do it. And it's not just simply because of Pride Month and all of that. It's because they started, pardon the pun, targeting our children. We just said, well, we can buy our stuff somewhere else. Doesn't mean that's going to be absolutely permanent and doesn't mean that we're demanding that everybody else do it. You're free to do whatever it is that you feel like you're supposed to do because Paul lived in a world that was as pagan or more so than ours. And you'll notice that he never did the political organizing and all of that. Now, again, I think every Christian ought to vote. I think it's a matter of stewardship. And I think you ought to vote as biblically as you possibly can. Now, most of those people don't give you a chance to vote for somebody who's really straight as an arrow, but uh, you've got to do it the best you can. 
And uh, I think that there are those times when we need to be involved and maybe even some of you need to consider running for office. There's no sin in that, except understand that's not the main thing that we're called to do. Now, obviously, the main thing that we're supposed to do is spread the gospel, carry out the Great Commission. So how well are you doing at that? That's the basic, and that's what we ought to be focusing on. But the other things that we find in here uh, kind of say to me, Live a a normal, kind of an ordinary life. I think that's where the salt has its impact. I think that's where society is changed. I think that's where lives are changed in normal, everyday life. Most of you would not be elected to office even if you ran and had billionaires backing you. you. You wouldn't make it. Maybe you don't have the personality. In today's society, you may not have the looks. Uh... You may not have the, uh, I don't know, the oratory skills or, you know, all of that. So what are you supposed to do? Well, if I can't be president, I can't really change anything. Is that true? You can make a huge difference in your family. You can make a huge difference in your neighborhood. You can make a huge difference in day-to-day life through your prayers, through your actions, through your charity, through your involvement, through your friendship, through all, all kinds of things that go on now what i see happening here is all of this was a distraction in the church of thessalonica because there were people that were saying no i'm waiting for the big thing the return of the lord jesus christ and while i'm waiting i'll be over for supper tonight what are we having and uh, these people were getting resentful and they were getting tired i think it's clear in reading these verses the good people that were working and that were being charitable and kind of helping these people out were getting tired of it. You know, it's one thing when you can help somebody because you want to, because you feel led to, and because you know they need it. It's another thing when you feel like people are taking advantage of you. It's another thing when you start doing it and you don't really want to, you're not really all that motivated, And you kind of wish they'd get out and get a job and take care of themselves. You know what I mean on on that situation. Some of you are maybe even in that situation. So you can read what uh, Paul said to do. And so being salt and light, being salt and light. You know, in um, food dishes, if you're making like a, uh, if you're going to smoke a pork roast or something like that, you may season that thing with salt and pepper and different things like that, and uh, I won't give you my secret recipe. But uh, So then you smoke it. Now, let me ask you a question. Does it need the salt? Yeah, salt brings out the flavor. But if you cut into that or shred it or whatever you do, and you uh, eat that, and the salt is the star of the show, you're not going to be able to eat it. Because the salt enhances it. The salt is not supposed to take over and be the main thing. What if uh, you had, uh, say, five pounds of meat and you put five pounds of salt on it? Because salt is good. And if a little is good, then let's really go after it. That would be terrible. That would be awful. I remember one time, uh, remember homemade ice cream with the cranks? Any of you all ever crank that kind of stuff? And it seemed like when you were a kid, this is never going to get hard. And uh, some people, uh, I had some cousins that their job was always to set on the freezer and I had to turn it. And uh, I kind of wanted the setting job every once in a while. 
And I remember one time the brine that's in the freezer got into the ice cream. You know what happens? Nobody goes, oh, that's a good salty ice cream. Maybe if it was salted caramel, but they didn't have that back then. And uh, it, it just wasn't very good. And I think that there are a lot of times we wonder why we don't have more impact on the world. And we're going to be salty, but we try to be the star of the show. We try to show our clout. We try to show our force. And granted, we do have a lot of it. Uh, I understand that in the last presidential election, there was something like 54 million evangelical Christians, that's what we are, didn't bother to vote. Well, man, that could make a tremendous difference in the outcome of especially a local election, much less a national one. I think we ought to be involved in that kind of stuff. But is that our real purpose? And is that really what we ought to focus on? And I think there's a whole lot more that happens as Paul would uh, kind of uh, frame this in your everyday boring lives. Your everyday, normal, mundane, same old, same old lives if you live it for the glory of God. So, with that being said, let's, let's talk about this. Notice that Paul is not calling them to do anything big or huge or uh, anything like that. Uh, they're just all confused. He's trying to get them straightened out. And uh, the corrective that he has boils down to this. Number one, as we look at uh, verse 10, uh, that is in obeying and applying and giving, obeying scripture, obeying commands, applying it to your life, and then being generous, giving type people. That, that's where we're going with this particular verse. Now, why would I say that's a problem? Because if you'll notice here in verse 10, for even when we were with you, you know, he's kind of doing the preacher thing. I've talked to you about this before. Now, I know we're not supposed to say this and we're not supposed to be unkind. But uh, there are some of you, you go to your Sunday school teacher and say, I need some advice. And they're going, we just talked about that just a few hours ago. What's going on? Because we have this tendency, and I've even had people come to me and they want to talk about something, need some advice. I'm thinking, I preached on that three weeks ago. Where were you? What's going on? Why aren't you listening and why aren't you applying it? Well, we've heard you before. We didn't think we need it. Well, the Word of God is always here for when the time comes that you do need it. You may not need it today, but you may need it tomorrow. Listen and pay attention and get the point of what the text says. And uh, so Paul is reminding them, we've talked about this before, when we were with you. And then he says, we commanded you this. So why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you applying what we told you to do? Ah, oh, we just yawned through church, went on out and said, finally, we got out of there and now we can go eat. Now we can do all the things that we really want to do until next Sunday. That's no way to live. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is obeying and applying the word of God that you were taught. It's not just for knowledge. It's not just to settle your curiosity. It's for you to apply to your life and notice when he says, if a man will not work, neither shall he eat. And I think it's important we focus in on will not. Some translations say, if a man is unwilling to work, neither shall he eat. This is not about the poor. This is not about the handicapped. This is not about 
people who, uh, for whatever reason, are in a bad economic situation and they can't find a job. That's nothing like that at all. In fact, we saw in our Sunday school lesson today in the book of Galatians that uh, one of the things James said to Paul is make sure that you uh, take care of the poor. And Paul said, and this I was most eager to do. Paul did not lack compassion, and Paul was not saying, oh, let them die and decrease the surplus population like Scrooge did in A Christmas Carol. That wasn't it at all. He was speaking specifically about a small group of people who could but wouldn't work. And basically, he's saying this, you need to be in a place where you obey the Scripture, you apply the Scripture, all of you, even the ones who were helping out, you need to remember what I said. And thirdly, Think about this. If a man will not work, neither shall he eat. Those are takers. And Paul said, I want you to be givers. I want you to be in a position, all of you, where you don't have to take from other people or take from the government or take from your neighbors or anything. I want you to be in the position where you can be a giver to all of those. After all, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Paul's wanting them to get on blessing ground here. You see what I'm saying? And so if we are waiting for the Lord to come, what are we supposed to do? We need to be obedient to the Scripture. We need to be applying whatever Scripture we're taught, the things that we learn, and we need to be givers as we go through society. There are all kinds of opportunities that are out here in this society. And uh, what does that do for us? Well, we could walk around and strut and act like we're a big deal. And whenever we give a check to an organization, we make the check is five feet wide and three feet, uh, uh, well, maybe three feet wide and five feet long so that everybody sees like the Jerry Lewis marathon things, that they see the big thing that we're doing. You know, we could do that and we could draw attention to ourselves and we could brag about it and we could talk about it and always tell stories about what we did and make it all about us. We could do that. Or we could do good deeds like Jesus said. Let your light so shine before men that others see your good works and then glorify, not you, but your Father which is in heaven. What if we were so generous in things and what if we were so involved in our community, that we did it for the glory of God and to open up doors of conversation for the gospel. And so Paul, I think, is looking at this and saying, this is dividing the church, it's turning people against each other, it's making people lazy, it's enabling the lazy people to keep on being lazy, and it is distracting from the main thing the church is supposed to be doing, which is sharing the gospel. So he's basically saying is do what we told you to do and quit acting like you've never heard it before and quit living as though nobody has ever taught you this before. Start applying it, get busy, get to work and be givers and be generous and be on blessing ground. Understand what that's saying? And so if a man doesn't work or won't work, then neither shall he eat. Man, that's a great incentive to get a job. That's a great incentive to go to work. I'm hungry. Let me go to work and let me go earn my own bread. And so uh, that's the first thing. Now, Jews glorified work. In fact, they had a saying that he who does not teach his son a trade teaches him to steal. That's how Jewish society would work. That's why Paul, even though he was a rabbi 
and a Pharisee and highly educated, he knew how to make tents. That was something that they took serious in those days. They always had a skill. They always had a trade. And so Paul is saying, go to work. You know what to do. Get in the marketplace and be involved in all of that. And again, remember, it's not those who can't work. It's those who will not work. Big, big difference. Don't get those all mixed up, okay? Now, when we get to point number two, how do we live until Jesus comes? And Paul seems to be saying in this next scripture, by minding your own business. Boy, some people are all too busy watching other people, listening in to conversations about others, talking about other people, gossiping about other people. And Paul is kind of saying, look, you're a busybody. And busybody is a meddler in things. You're giving advice when it wasn't asked for. You are trying to share things that nobody, nobody cares. Nobody asks for your opinion about it, and yet always butting in. Uh, you know somebody like that. I hope you're not one of them, but uh, it's not a good thing to do. Mind your own business, he says in verses 11 and 12. We hear that there are those, uh, that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly or idle manner. Now look at this. Not working at all, but are busybodies. In other words, you're busy about the wrong thing. I wish you were that busy what you are about gossiping or knowing other people's stuff or knowing about their kids or knowing about their finances or knowing about their health or knowing about their spiritual walk and all of that. I wish you were that concerned about their souls. And far too often it's not. And uh, the book of Proverbs says, every man proclaims his own goodness. You, you know what he's saying there? It's so easy for me to talk about how good I am, but I can sure see your problems and sure see your sin. And we're all like that because you can do the same thing with me. And we're all sinners and we all have that problem. But are we supposed to be preoccupied with everybody else's sin? I don't know how they could do that. I don't know how they could say that. I don't know. I, I don't see how that would work. Well, some of that is none of your business. Right? That's left up between them and the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God. Now, there are some notable exceptions that uh, we might ought to talk about here. Uh, these are people where Paul is saying, listen, if you're going to be right with God, quit focusing on everybody else and what they're doing and what they're not doing and you know all of that and get busy and take care of yourself. You've got enough problems of your own and get busy at work and quit being busy in other people's life. In fact, he also says, this is commanded through our Lord Jesus Christ, that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Not busy at uh, work, but busy meddling is where they were. And they're kind of stirring up stuff and kind of noise makers. And they always have an opinion. They always have something to say. Just shh. That's why the Bible says in another place, you're supposed to be swift to what? Hear. Slow to speak and even slower to wrath. But we don't live like that. We don't really believe that. We don't really apply that. We think that we're the exception to the rule and that we are the ones that can do that. And we always, you know, I don't know about you, but my anger is always righteous. You know, I always get that part right. So you can bet on it. If I'm upset about something, it's for a good cause, right? Any thunder or lightning, anything? And you're the same way. 
Most of the time, most of the time, our anger is selfish. Our anger is vengeful. Our anger is hurtful, and it's anything but righteous. And so Paul is saying, look here, you need to calm down, quiet down, and mind your own business. It's easy to get angry at other people, upset with other people, fuss about other people, and that's not really what we're supposed to do. And so uh, these people were taking care of everybody's business but their own. Now think about these exceptions. What about Galatians 6, 1? Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. In other words, there is a time to be involved in somebody's life. Uh, you would never walk past a neighbor's house and you notice that smoke is billowing out of all of the windows and obviously there's a fire in the attic and uh, you go up to the house and you notice that the family's just sitting there eating dinner. You would never go, well, it's their business. You would run in and say, fire, get out. And that's what Paul is talking about here. There are those times when we do need to be involved in other people's lives. You see them overtaken in a sin and you ought to as the old hymn says rescue the perishing okay in jude verse 22 it says and on some have compassion making a distinction but others save with fear pulling them out of fire and hating even the garment defiled by the flesh okay they're in the fire what do you do say well hope it all works out and walk on by didn't want to get involved. Christians don't do that. We, we want to get involved in that, whether it's a physical thing or, uh, as Jude is using it here, as a spiritual metaphor. Some people are on fire today and they don't even realize it. They're playing with fire and they don't even realize it. So what are you going to do when their life goes up in flames? Oh, their business. No, no, we don't do that. We are to help rescue them from that. That's what we ought to be focusing on. And 1 John three seventeen. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, doesn't say the brother asks you for anything, sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? So whenever you see somebody who's struggling financially, don't wait till they ask. Uh, on that regard, just help them out. And uh, so we have some ways where the Bible does give exceptions to this, but the general rule is, Mind your own business. Work, be preoccupied with that. Work well, have a good work ethic. Be a good testimony for Christ while you're on the job. Make money, provide for your own. The Bible says if a man does not provide for his own household, he's worse than an infidel and has denied the truth. Christians take care of their families. And so we do that with these notable exceptions, okay? Number three. When the Lord returns, how does he want to find you? Bored? Tired? Apathetic? No. Notice number three. Energized. Energized. Look what verse 13 says. But as for you, brethren... Okay? Because when we read this, we would all go, Well, I would never be those idle, freeloading people. Okay, well then this is for you. Okay? But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good are you getting tired heard somebody say on the radio the other day i'm so sick and tired of voting 
because it doesn't do any good. They lived in California. Is that the right approach? Well, I get so tired of witnessing to people because they don't get saved and they just slough it off and, and, and go on. Is, is that the right thing to do? Well, I just get so tired of teaching my Sunday school class. Nobody ever says anything and nobody ever seems to be blessed by it. Is, is that the right thing to do? Well, you know, uh, I, I help these people and I've helped them over and over and over and over again. And, and it, it just doesn't seem to get them straightened out. I'm, I'm just tired of this. I'm, I'm tired of these students. I'm tired of these children. I'm, oh, well, maybe you're even tired of your own family. I'm tired of my husband. I'm tired of my wife. I'm tired of these kids. I'm tired of, of the job that I have. I'm tired of, of church. I'm tired of all of that. Is that the way you want Jesus if he were to come back today to find you? Jesus would say to you, I love my church. I died for the church. And you're going, oh, let the younger people do it. I've paid my dues. Is that what he is saying to do? No, Jesus wants you to be energized when he comes back. Not growing weary in doing good. In other words, don't let the sin of others rob you of zeal. I'm getting so tired of every time we have supper, this freeloader shows up. Well, Paul told you what to do about that, but he's also saying at the same time, don't shut off all of your compassion to where you go, oh, it doesn't do any good, I'm not going to help anybody. And we seem to be kind of extremists nowadays. It's kind of all or nothing, all or nothing, all or nothing. If you don't agree, agree with everything then I don't, that I say, you don't have any part of me. We're, we're just done. Have you ever watched The View and seen the way they act and the way they treat people who disagree with them? We can't even have a dialogue or a civil conversation anymore. Have you watched how people in Congress do those same type of things? Well, unfortunately, that even happens in some Sunday school classes. I haven't heard about it happening in any of ours, so I hope it doesn't, and it, and it shouldn't, and it better not, but I have heard it happen in different places. And uh, it's amazing how we can divide, and we can divide so easy, and uh, we just give up. Nothing's ever going to happen here. The first church I pastored, the, a deacon came up to me on Sunday night at a church fellowship, and he goes, well, you did a pretty good job today. And I said, well, thank you. And he said, I was hoping you wouldn't come. And I said, Brother Carl, I said you were on the pulpit committee. I told you I wouldn't come unless you were unanimous. He goes, oh, don't get me wrong, I like you. I just wouldn't wish this church on anybody that I cared about. And so we were talking and I said, well, maybe the Lord will change. And I remember the end of that conversation. He goes, not here. Is that called growing weary and doing good? Sounds like it to me. You just give up, throw up your hands. And some people do that with their kids, their own kids. How many parents in here... You gave up on something you felt strongly about, but you said this, it's just not worth the fight. Whoa! You're called to love them. You're called to shepherd them. You're called to instruct them. And I'm telling you, if God gave you a child, it is worth the fight. Be consistent. Don't grow weary in doing good. Oh, I remember Mother's Day 1991 when John Martin 
came down to me standing in the front and he said, Preacher, I'm ready. And I said, Ready for what, John? And he said, I'm ready to be saved. And uh, I started to uh, lead him to the Lord, but I couldn't. I got his brother, Joe. Joe was on the pulpit committee that called me to that church, a godly man. And I went to Joe and I startled him because he was praying. Imagine that, praying during an invitation time. And um, I said, Joe, come up here and lead your brother to Christ. That old man jumped up out of that pew and ran down to his brother and they went over to the right side of the podium and they knelt down there on those steps and I could see through the light shining through the window that was there, there were tears falling on that Bible as Joe led his brother John to the Lord. Oh, it was great. Man. When we presented him to the church, I uh, told the church how Sammy, I said, every time I've heard her pray, she prays for John to be saved. And John, to the day he died, never forgot that Sammy had uh, prayed for him so much to be saved. Never forgot it. Always mentioned it every time we saw him. And then I asked Joe, Joe, how long have you been praying for your brother John to be saved? And he looked up to me with a tear-stained face and he said, God is my witness every day for 42 years since the day I was saved. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Have you given up? Have you quit? Have you just decided it doesn't do any good? It's not worth it? God doesn't really honor His Word or care about what we do. You see, the enemy wants to wear you down and get you to where you give up, doesn't do any good, and it's just not worth the fight. And I'm afraid a lot of believers even think it's that way, even in the nation God has called us into. We're placed here to be a steward over this nation and to be salt and light. Ah, it doesn't do any good, doesn't do any good. And some of us, we want to do some big thing, and we think that because we decided to go picket an abortion clinic and the church didn't come and show up with us, well, it doesn't do any good, and, and babies are still being killed. Why be involved in all of that? Well, maybe you're supposed to be, but leave everybody else alone to do what God has called them to do. And to the church at large, I would say, but make sure you're doing something. Don't just sit there like a bump on a log. God didn't call us to do that. Salt and light. Salt and light is what we've got to do. So let's go to point number four and finish up here. What about this? When Jesus comes, I think he wants you to be restoring rather than enabling. Doesn't that seem to be the tone here? If a man doesn't work, neither shall he eat. You know what Paul is kind of saying in a different way? Quit feeding them. They won't come back if you don't feed them. Sometimes um, you may have a yard where you have bird feeders out and then you've got uh, bird stuff everywhere you go. I can't believe these birds. Go, well, then quit feeding them. They'll go away, right? Get the stray cat. You put out tuna every day for him and then I wish this cat would go away or somebody would come. Quit feeding it. It'll go somewhere else. Get the principle? And Paul was saying here, you're enabling people because it's convenient. Not because it's right, because it's convenient. I don't want the fight. I don't want people to think badly of me. Yeah, well, Paul would say, you're not helping them and you're not helping the situation. And Jesus wants us to be restorers. Well, it sounds mean not to feed them, but Paul's point is, if you will not enable them, then they might just start doing what's right. And we try to make people happy instead of them being holy. 
And that is a big, big problem. And some of you are trapped in that and you're resentful and you're burning up on the inside about it, but you keep on doing it and you keep on wondering why you get the same old thing all the time. Well, the definition of insanity is doing the same old thing over and over and over, but expecting different results. Why don't you try something new, like maybe even applying the Bible? Now, I'm not saying be harsh, and I'm not saying be uh, mean or anything like that, but he says, and if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with them because you hate them. No, doesn't say that. It says that he may be ashamed. I think the tone there is that <coughs> being ashamed might cause their conscience to be smitten and they might actually repent. The Holy Spirit can use that. But if you keep on going like, oh, everything's cool, everything's great, oh, you're always welcome here, yeah, take all you want, and then when they leave, I can't believe that, you know, and all that, that doesn't do anybody any good. And so Jesus would want us to be that kind of person when he returns, not this enabling person that's filled with resentment. And then um, we uh, find in uh, Matthew 18, 6, where the Lord talks about this, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you have gained your brother. The idea is not punishment, but restoration. Restoration. Some people can't get right with you because they don't know what they've done wrong. Nobody's ever told them. And you haven't told them. And you, you expect them to change? Well, you might ought to have a talk with them, like Matthew 18 says. And there are four steps there, and uh, make sure you follow all four. And then uh, the last point is, I think when the Lord returns, He wants us to be filled with optimism, with love, and with hope. Verse 15, yet do not count him as an enemy. Why? There's hope in this guy. He may be doing wrong now. He may be a really immature believer, and he may be uh, living in sin now. But if he's truly born again... There's hope for that guy. Leave the light on for him, as Motel 6 used to say. Don't count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So all of this is done in faith and in hope that they will repent. You're praying for them, you're loving them, you're ready to receive them, and you're doing it for the glory of God. And uh, it also helps when it's done by a group, as Paul calls here, because if it's just one person... And uh, I say to somebody, well, you're not doing right, so I, I'm, I'm withdrawing fellowship from you. Well, then they think I'm just a cranky old guy, which I probably am, but um, at the same time, that's not the point. But when the church speaks and the church does it, then that makes that person go, wow, everybody thinks this? Everybody feels this way? And it has a whole lot more clout when it's done like that rather than just you being a, a gripey person that uh, is going on with all of this. And um, so I'll conclude with this. Living a normal life seems to be what Paul is calling for here. Not anything grand and glorious by man's estimation, but just a normal life. Go to work, eat your own bread, mind your own business. But at the same time, you're supposed to be living as a Christian and you're not to grow weary in well-doing. You're not to be an enabler of sin. And uh, you are to treat people, even those in sin, as brothers in Christ. Eh, that's not flashy. That's not going to make anything on the news. That's not going to make them build a statue of you. But boy, does it ever have a lot of impact. Think about this. 
uh, Paul is saying here, living a normal life in a super, pardon me, supernatural way that glorifies God and serves people well. What if we all did that? Do you think it would have any impact on your neighbors? Do you think it would have any impact on society? And I think, really, that's where it starts. I think that's where we change things one heart at a time, one deed at a time, one action at a time. Well, you know, I do this, but it's not going to do anything because we think we have to be on TV. We think we have to be in the movies. We think we have to be a rock star. We think we have to put on a big production. We think we have to be in politics. No, no, you're normal. Normal people in a normal church. But if we can live life in a supernatural way, glorify God, and serve other people well, and we do it quietly, and we do it just as a natural course of life, you might be surprised at how much impact your life could actually have. Now, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, then you're not really involved in all of this. This is a message to the brothers and to the sisters. This is a message for the family that we have today. But if you will turn your eyes to Jesus, as we sang earlier, repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you become a part of the family instantly, and then all this is for you. And your life can matter and have impact and not just live your life for yourself and then die and then spend eternity in hell. What point is there in all of that? But the significance is live for Christ, do some things that will last for eternity, and do them for the glory of God. And for those of us who are saved, it's why aren't you doing that? Find some ways to do that. Don't just leave it to somebody else. This is what Paul is saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to people like you, to people who are normal. Normal things matter when they are done for the glory of God and in supernatural power. And so Paul is not saying to the Thessalonians, you need to go out there and organize and protest and rally and all of that. No, he's saying eat your own bread work, do it in quietness, and uh, then apply what you've learned in the Word of God and what you've been taught. Does that make sense to anybody but me? That so many times I think we shoot ourselves in the foot by trying to be something we're not and something we're not made to be. And then we ignore all of the opportunities we have in the normal, everyday things of life. So this is a message for normal everyday people. You can have great power, impact, and influence if you'll just follow what the Word of God says. Okay? In fact, all those flashy people usually end up in immorality or disappointing you, don't they? Yeah. Just be a normal person for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, some people in this room and some people that may be listening need to be saved. And I pray, Lord, for their salvation. Please. And Lord, there are people all around us that need to hear the gospel. And we think that we've got to be some big-time, flashy, educated evangelist or missionary or preacher or something like that. No, you use everyday normal people. In fact, all the disciples you uh, called, for the most part, were just normal, everyday people. Help us, Lord, to mind our own business. Help us to have a good work ethic. And help us that our salt will really be salty 
and it'll be in the right places at the right time in the right proportion that our light will shine bright in a lost, dying, and confused world and help us to see that the impact we have is just in everyday life, being a husband, being a wife, being a mom, being a dad, being a worker, whatever it is we do. Help us to do that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.